chick called Reggae Girl. Uh-huh. And she grew up here. She's into, like, peacock bass fishing and everything. And uh, anyway, we're recording. But anyway, I thought it was, like, really cool because she's a chick. She's not a G-stringer. And she crushes, like, you know, peacock bass. Um, I call them mudfish, but she's like, uh, you know, snakehead, little tarpon, mm-hmm. clownfish, all those exotics. Anyway, welcome to the Real Guy Podcast. I got a good friend of mine, Jake, in here today, and Garrett, right? Yes, sir. Garrett, what's up with you? What up? From Michigan, but we out here, Florida. Excited to be here. How old are you? 21 years old. And Jake, you're 21 too, right? I am. <laughs> Put that thing right up by your mouth. Right up here? Yeah. Oh, oh. there we go. I yeah. know it moves. See, I can hear. You can't hear. I got the headphones that are plugged in. But anyway, so... um. Jake and uh, Garrett just got back from a fishing trip. Um, you guys are just in Treasure? Yeah, just in Treasure Key. And then what, were you doing the, like the whole backside of the Abacos and all that this time? Yeah, we got <clears throat> we had access to a van that we have for the past couple of years. So right. it's kind of opened up that whole entire island. And there's so much stuff that nobody ever fishes over there that if you're willing to go down some dirt roads and stuff, you can find some pretty cool stuff. So you're doing like major exploration. Now, Jake... Um, Jake and Jake's family and mine go way back, and um, Jake's grandfather actually showed my father um, Treasure Key in the Abacos in like 1981, call it. And back then, going to the Abacos was like a major deal. And your grandfather had a 25 Mako that uh, he got all fished out and ready to fish. But making that trip was like a, you know, like, now people make that trip like it's no big deal. Yeah, back then you need that weather window. Right. You need it needs to be flat, flat. And then <coughs> the, the boats, you know, burn so much fuel that, um, hold that away from me because we can hear you breathe a little bit. Gotcha. Yeah, better. So, um, so like, fuel was a big deal. So, like, just to make it from Fort Lauderdale to the West End, which is, like, 80 miles, you were starting to, like, run out of fuel. So then you'd have to fuel up and keep going. And um, I remember the time... Um, when we loaded up that Mako for the first time and brought it over to Treasure, it was the first time I ever got a chance to go over there. And um, my uh, my family fell in love with the place and ended up um, getting a place over there. And I was actually um, a, little, a lot younger than you are now, but running around that island trying to figure out how to fish. <laughs> so watching you grow up over there and doing that kind of fishing, it just keeps my mind... Like, I'm always wondering, like, man, I wonder what Jake's doing right now. You know, I wonder if he's, like, you know, up that little creek by Treasure Key or if he's in the back bay or maybe he's out off the islands or maybe he's going to try to catch a marlin this trip because just like you, like, when I was a kid, I could not wait to get over there. Yeah. It's a lot different than it is now, but I think you're taking it to, like, a new level. (laughs) Now, would you get over there this week? We had a solid, solid, solid week. Weather was epic i haven't seen last couple of summers been weird it's usually really flat in the summer um the last two or three summers has been real windy um like afternoon wind is pretty normal but this time it was just like all day every day blowing but this past week was nice um the whole ocean side of abaco which has a bunch of flats that come into the main island and all of them have fish and if you find a dirt road the dirt road all goes to the ocean so all those flats had fish they're all we're eating really well. Um, mm-hmm. 
Because bonefish go and they spawn on the new moon. And if they're on the new moon, they leave. And yeah. I like I was I'm skeptical about the whole moon thing with every fish. Who told you that? Who, you. I learned you that about what the bonefish or the moon thing. The moon thing. Oh, I've heard, I've seen it myself at this point. I was skeptical because you told you were like I don't believe the moon stuff, and I was like I've never seen it. But then like I started kind of paying attention to it. Right. And I'd go to a spot where I know if it, where fish are going to be on a certain tide, at a certain time of the day, and they wouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. And then I'd go three bays over. And just outside of the bay, there'd be a thousand fish right. all hanging out together, either going out to sea or coming back in. Okay. So, and I guess, and for whatever reason, the, all the fish were around. They weren't all in one place going in and out. They were ready to eat. Um, there's a few tarpon around. But right you, were ma- you were mainly looking for bones? Mainly bonefish. And then you're doing just fly? Only fly. Why do you, um, what's your, like, ever since I've known you, you were, like, always drawn to the fly rod. I don't really know why. I mean, when I grew up fishing with you, I just wanted to fish. Right. And catch as many fish as I could. Right. And then as I got older, I don't really know what drew me to it. I learned how to fly fish when I was, like, nine. And then just here and there up until I was about 13 or 14 would do it. But then my freshman year of high school, everything just went all fly all the time. I don't know what started it. And it helped that all my friends were into it too. So it's something we'd all do together. Yeah, it's good to have good to have the friend network so you can, you know, kinda compete with one another with the right. fly. That's a big deal. Garrett, same with you. Are you just more into fly or what? Yeah, I'm a fly guy now, but uh growing up in Michigan, uh, it only took me until meeting Jake to really get into the fly world. So you grew up in Michigan, what, fish lakes and stuff? Yeah, fish lakes, you catch largemouth and pike up there. And how'd you meet Jake? Uh, freshman year at Miami. Oh, so you guys met at University of Miami. Yeah. You didn't know each other before that. Yeah, he looked like a fishy guy, so I said, what up? <laughs> it's funny how the fishy guys, you know, will end up finding each other. Yep, yep. Did you guys spend a lot of time at the U running around looking for fish? Absolutely. Uh, we hit the canals. We were the ditch boys, boat ramp ditch boys. boys. <laughs> we caught every baby tarpon in Miami. <laughs> we still get it going hard, but the peacocks definitely miss Jake now. All right. Well, I got I to gotta tell you guys – Um. I don't know. I guess I met you, what, three, four years ago, maybe? Yeah, three years ago? Yeah, fre- whenever freshman year was. So, three and years then, ago. Right. And I've known Jake a long time. And um, you guys kind of break the mold of what I see with the guys your age, the millennials. <laughs> like you guys got a little more, I don't know, you guys got a little more energy. You're always, you know, trying to find a new place. It doesn't matter um, whether you're going to school or you're taking, the, you know, trips out to the Caribbean or... You told me about Fort Pierce. You told me about Marco Island. You know, like, you guys are always getting into something. And I just don't see that with the kids your age that much. Well, a lot of kids our age just, like, especially being so technology-oriented and connecting with people um, more so over, like, a screen than in person. Like, their lives revolve around looking as cool as they can on social media. And right. to do that, they have to do things that are very mainstream for a college kid you know like there's a time and place for everything in college and too many people get way too absorbed in what college will do if you let it like i.e going out every night of the week (laughs) and like that can really kind of mess you up as a person and kind of skew who your friends are like personally i stayed close with all my friends because yeah, there's a time for us to go have fun, but there's also a time for us to go and have crazy adventures where you actually get closer with people. 
Right, like doing real things. Exactly, like doing real real fun stuff. Friends instead of digital. I don't know. You think that's what's making? I mean, guys my age, we think that the uh, we think that the younger generation is a little soft. I agree fully. So you think they're soft too? I don't think I'm soft. I don't think Garrett's soft. Well, I think it, it takes a good amount of work too. I mean, not everyone's willing to get off the couch for a small ass bonefish. Exactly. I mean, me and Jake are hiking. We're we're doing all this stuff where. It's easy to not do that, and it's not fun being bad at fishing either. You know, you go out once a month. Right. That's not a whole lot of fun because you have no idea what you're doing. And you're not allowed to. Put, you're not willing to put in the work. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's 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 common. I mean, with almost all the fishermen. But I don't know. I don't know. You guys really seem to be the exception. Like, I, I can. You know, I mean, when I let's say you're 21, 22 years old now. 21, yeah. So like that that time I was in. Uh, I was in the Abacos and all through the Bahamas a lot doing the Marlin stuff. And there was other kids, you know, younger, older, you know, whatever. But there was like, I mean, they were out there, you know, back then, you know, didn't have telephones and it was, you know, kind of gamey. But, you know, you had a lot of boat washing, a lot of rigging, you know, it was like hard work. And I look at the docks today and I look, well, the tournaments aren't like they used to be, but I just don't see the kids out there with their hands on. And then... To think that um, every time you get a chance, you reach right out to me and be like, "Hey, let, let you know, let's go fishing." Yeah. You know, like you're you're fishing in treasure, you're fishing over, you're in a, doing a big fishing trip. In the meantime, you're texting me about, dude, I got a little window when I come to Fort Lauderdale. Maybe we can get out there. Garrett and I will be in town. And the drive and the like you said, the energy you're willing to put in. I love it. I mean, it makes you know makes me want to take you guys fishing every time I see you. Yeah, I see it the most, too, in places like the Abacos. Like, especially the past two years, Treasure started to kind of rebound as far as tourist activity. Right. There's a good amount of people going. Yeah. But you don't see as many sport fishers as you used to see, and you don't see as many people at the bars. But what I do see with kids our age or even a little older who are there on their sport fishers, like, I'm waking up, me and Garrett are waking up, going fishing. You see these people who don't have the energy to get out of their lawn chair on the beach and put down their pina colada and go look for a bonefish. They're there because everyone wants to catch fish. Right. And, like, you told me this three years ago. You said the only smart people that go to the Bahamas are the people that go to catch a marlin or a bonefish. <laughs> right, everybody You, you told else. me that, like, three years ago. Is it holding true? Yeah. I mean, people, like, will ask me, like, hey, are there any fish over here right now as far as, like, tuna, mahi, whatever. I'm like, I don't know. If you're smart, you fish for marlin or you fish for bonefish. So, <laughs> very good, very good, proud of you. <laughs> That's uh, that gives me hope. <laughs> Jared, do you do you feel the same way? I mean, do you see what Jake's saying? Do you feel it? Yep, and I know that uh, your word is law. You know, you say something <laughs> three years ago, we're gonna hold you to it. <laughs> I gotta watch what I say with you guys a little more, maybe. <laughs> no, I think it's cool. And um, Garrett, I don't, I don't know if you realize it, but um. When I used to fish with his granddaddy, I mean, I was like, I think when I first started fishing with him, maybe I was 12 or 13 years old. And he's showing me, like, everything about Treasure Key and Abaco and the people and the islands and where you can catch a mackerel, where you can catch a mutton, where you can catch a wahoo. And um, much older than me, but I could not wait to do whatever he wanted to do. You know what I mean? Because I, I could soak that in. 
and um, it was, everything was fresh, everything was new. Now, did you guys do any um, guides, any bonefish guides while you were over there this trip? Uh, we don't. I haven't used a guide in a while. I have a lot of respect for all the guides. Right. They've become good friends of mine over the past six or seven years going there. And personally, it's much more rewarding to do it on my own, you yeah. know, walk a flat. Um, we did fish with the guy who manages Abaco Lodge right now. His name is Christian Pretorius. Super fishy dude. What is it? His name is Christian Pretorius. And what's South the lodge? African dude. What's Abaco Lodge. Okay. He's managing that place. We fished with him and one of their guides one day, um, just a little farther south, south of Marsh Harbor, still on the ocean side. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the only guide stuff we did. Most of the stuff's all on our own. I just look for spots on maps and go check it out. Yeah, try to do it to argue yourself. When, when I was, uh, when I first got exposed to the flats over there, um, your grandfather introduced me to this guy named Othnell. <laughs> and Othnell was old then. I've heard all the stories about Othnell. And he took me out to the Marls, um, like maybe 1983 or something like that. And we caught, I don't know, maybe seven or ten bonefish. And um, every time that um, I went back, I would save all the cash I could so I could go without now. And I probably went with him a dozen times and until uh, he got just too old to do it anymore. And then I actually went with a guy named Macintosh, who was old like now, and he was very good. But um, other than uh, being with the guides, um, I never fished on the backside of Abaco. I got all over the front side of Abaco, mm-hmm. you know, all the way to the, you know, little islands and over by Green Turtle and all that. And um, we could find bonefish. But back then, I had nobody except for Othnell to take me on the uh, moral side of it. And um, we basically just got bonefish. We never did permit. We never did tarpon. Now, you've been doing pretty good with the tarpon over there. Yeah, the tarpon is something that I've always heard about them being there. Right. Um, but I, I've been going there for so long and so many times a year, I never really saw them. And then the past couple of years, they just kind of started to show up here and there. And like people are putting in dock lights at their houses. I'm seeing them there. And then two years ago, I went out to the fuel station at the end of Treasures. They put that big fluorescent LED um, on a big pole. Right. And we went out there one day and there was like 40 fish just laid up, blowing up shrimp, blowing up little pilchards. And I was like, this is it. Wow. This is the greatest day of my life. You know, they weren't, um, the tarpon weren't hanging around that part of the Abacos when, when, uh, years ago. That's what people have told me is that like, they kind of just now started to pop up. Yeah. Especially the smaller ones. Like you would, there be an occasional like giant fish in the marina, you know, eating a scrap or something like that. And that was kind of it for, you know, tarpon anywhere in there. There was some like freshwater springs or something that Othnell said he could take me to that I never went. But, um, he said there was tarpon there. But it was kind of, you know, like, barely ever saw any. And then I was over there with Nicole and Victoria. Oh, this has to be seven or eight years ago. And I'm I'm just, you know, we're not even fishing. We're just, like, doing, checking out turtles and stuff. My mm-hmm. kid was, like, you know, six at the time or whatever. And we're on that white sand flat out in front by the, um, by the fuel station. And this school of tarpon, like 20, 30 pounders, I mean hundreds, came across that white sand. And basically just parted right around our legs and kept going. And we just watched it. And I was like never seeing anything like that in that part of the ocean before after all those years. So I think it's kind of cool. And then you guys are crushing them. Now we're just all over them. They eat the fish. If you find a fish that's not spooked, 
and you put anything in front of it, it's going to eat it. They don't see – they've never seen a fly. So the Bahamian tarpon are similar to the Bahamian bonefish? They're yeah, pretty exactly. cooperative? I mean, and the locals know the tarpon are there. They have no desire to catch them because they can't eat them. Right. Or they won't eat them. Um, but, I mean, Garrett and I have been – there's a pond down south of the island that has them. Um, they're in the dock lights. They're at the fuel station. They're in the way, way back – on the ocean side, like on the mangrove tunnels and stuff. Right. I went and found some. And then I'm starting to see the real big fish, like migratory fish, out in the Sea of Abaco in like eight feet of water on the white sand, just swimming around. Gotcha. They're, just, they're popping up like real tarpon shit. <laughs> That's awesome. That's friggin' awesome. And then you guys are out there actually trying to figure it out. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Now, what are you guys doing? Going over to Marco Island after this? Big plans in Marco Island this week. Um, a lot of beach snook happening this time of year. Targeted species is beach snook? Beach snook. We you know, me and Jake are fly guys, so we yeah. like to get out there in the clear water. We get them in the dock lights. Uh, maybe some redfish in the morning. Um, tarpon in the back country in the Everglades. And what do you got over there? Relatives or parents? Uh, my parents have a place down there. Okay. And I'm um, working in Naples this summer, so I'm going to be hanging out there a lot. Right on, right on. Now, are you still at the U or no? Yes, uh, just finished my junior year. Okay, and now you left the U and you're out in Colorado? I'm now I'm back at University of Texas. You're in at Austin Texas, now. Uh -huh. okay, okay. How's that going? How do you like it out there? It's good, I mean, it's fun. It's good to be home. I chased a job back home, Right. and uh, it didn't work out the exact way I wanted it to, but um, my living situation at home is great. I live with my three childhood best friends um still get to fish when i need to i can drive to the coast and catch 30 redfish right on my on. fly rod if i want to so it's been good and i still keep up with garrett and my other our other roommate and all our friends back here so it's been good yeah i think you know they, i think um it's cool it's cool that you're that you still hang out with garrett but i think when you're fishing buddies i don't think it matters where you guys end up absolutely not and that is one thing that i mean we talked about the whole digital thing but that is one thing that like i didn't feel like I would be alienated from Garrett and Jack back here if I left. Like I could just pick up the phone, and be like, "Yo, I'm coming this weekend. Where are we going?" You know. Right, 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 right. I don't know. The um, when I went when I went to University of Connecticut, not only did people not fish there, <laughs> they couldn't even comprehend, you know, getting up and revolving your whole day or week or month or summer around fishing. Like, it, it, you would explain it to them, like, you know, yeah, I'm going to go home, and then, you know, you talk about all the fishing that you're going to do, and they're just looking at you like, uh, okay, but nothing. Like, couldn't even comprehend. So I think when you, you know, are at that age, we have all the energy like you two guys have, and then you have fishing on your mind, and as long as you guys both have fishing on your mind, you guys will constantly keep doing trips. Right. I think I, I kept doing trips until I was probably... 40 years old you know we just we'd find places that we wanted to go we wanted to explore we wanted to catch like like i never caught the black marlin i caught all the blue marlin and white marlin and all that kind of thing but i never caught a black marlin so you know i was like 30 i'm like 35 years old i'm like oh, i want to go to tropic star so you know i saved up my cash and went to tropic star and you know went to do, went to do that and um only in the last 10 years or so i haven't been doing like fishing trips even though the girls want to go to costa rica this summer mm -hmm. there you go that's an opportunity but think about that the girls want to go <laughs> and you don't want to go to costa rica no it's not that i don't want to go but it's like you know it's kind of nice when your girls want to go but like i like when i'm going over there like whatever they want to do like i'm cool 
they want to go in the mountains and do zip lining and they want to do this and they got a whole list of stuff and um i don't know doing so much fishing now with with clients and then kind of hey i'm kind of snobbish at this point like i really only want to tarpon fish <laughs> and um but think about uh, but the funny thing about the Costa Rica trip is that all the places that the wife ended up getting, Los Sueños, like the coolest whatever fishing resort they have yep. there, you know, the most commercial and all that. And um, I didn't even like say anything. But now she's telling me that she wants to go catch a sailfish because we're in Los Sueños. And I'm looking at her like she's got three heads because the kid <laughs> told me she wanted to catch a sailfish and I took her out when she was eight and caught her one right out here. I was going to say she caught one not that long ago out here. Right, right. And, you know, the sail fishing right off the coast of Fort Lauderdale is pretty, I mean, it's not phenomenal, but it's pretty good. You know, we get them. And um, I got the one with Victoria, like, first time that we ever tried. But I think that's marketing at its finest. Like, uh, the wife wants to go to Costa Rica to catch a sailfish. In the meantime, she could see them if she looked real hard while she's freaking <laughs> sunbathing on the beach here. <laughs> right? That is one thing I want to do here still, is I want to go out when they're, when they're thick here and find one finning in the Gulf Stream and catch one on my fly rod. Like, they're, like, all over the place. They tease them up to the back of the boat, and they flip their fly 20 feet in the water, and they catch them. It would be super legit if somebody were to go out and sight fish one, not trolling. I don't, I don't know. I don't know anybody who's done it. I'm sure it's been done, but I don't think it's been done that many times. You can do it here. You can definitely do that here. I mean, there's many days when you know you're, it'd be flat calm, so you could actually stand up in front of the skiff and you could see the sailfish from 100 yards away because they're you know they're just sitting there and their freaking sails popping out mm -hmm. of the water, and you could do it. But, yeah, you're right. Everybody I've ever seen catch a sailfish on fly, especially out here, has to tease them up. I mean. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I like fly fishing for tarpon. <laughs> I mean, Garrett Garrett made up this joke for me sophomore year at Miami, and it was, like, we'd be peacock fishing or whatever. And he was like, you know, Jake, you're never really not tarpon fishing. Like, everything you catch is bycatch because then when you see a tarpon, everything flips, and all that's, that's all you want to catch. That's right. That's class. <laughs> you explain that to people before you before they catch a tarpon, and um, there's no way they're going to get it. And even when somebody does catch a tarpon, only like 10% get it. The other 90% don't get it. But if you spend your time trying to figure that fish out, especially with a fly, especially with a fly. Yeah, I mean – I left Miami, and then Garrett goes on Craigslist and picks up a Ginu for 100 bucks, and just goes off with the tarpon over on the West Coast. Like, it's insane. Like, you go in, like, all the ponds, all the mangrove trails, and just light them up. Right. I mean, fishing the back of the Everglades is puppy tarpon. They're pet tarpon. <laughs> You're catching them no matter what. I think, really, the, the best part about them is having to figure them, figure them out here in Fort Lauderdale, Miami, the East Coast, where that's really where they get to you, where they get in your head. Yeah, no, they, they they take they not only get in your head, they take your mind over. <laughs> but that um that little fishery that, that you're talking about on the west coast of Florida, I spent some time over there fishing out of Goodland for a little while. Mm -hmm. And when I first started my guiding career, I kind of thought I wanted to do you know more like a pole skiff type guide service. And I figured I'd figure out some some uh, good areas over in that Goodland area, mm -hmm. and then do Biscayne Bay and kind of bounce back and forth, which right. I started to do. I started to get pretty good fi at fishing out of Goodland. But um, 
the small tarpon, the juvenile tarpon, like you're saying, in the back waters and these little ponds and stuff. Yeah. It, I kept gravitating towards that when I was over there, and it was just a lot of fun. I had that Ranger Banshee boat. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I could get in, you know, all the little spots, and, and then, you know, we'd have our fly rods and our light tackle. But that's what I did when I was over there. You were sight fishing? Sight fishing a lot. You know, we go to, the, like, you know, those old broken-down bridges that were there in, um, in, the, in the mouth of the passes there, you know, and the outgoing tides and the tarpon would just kind of sit in the, in the little passes. And we'd blind cast for them there. And then we'd sight fish them. Even we tried to go, we tried to do the lights thing over there. But at that point, man, the mosquitoes were freaking killing me. <laughs> like, like I couldn't even like think there were so many mosquitoes around. Me and Jake had quite the experience light fishing Goodland. It's oh, kind yeah, of a we rough did. neighborhood these days. Because of the mosquitoes? Oh, oh no, no, the we people. Some characters out there. Like what? I don't really remember. You can, you probably remember yeah, so we had one guy throw a shark bait at us. What, because he was fishing yeah, for he sharks? Was fishing off the dock. He chucked his shark bait at us. I mean, we were a good, like, 200 feet off his dock. Yeah. But he got his big spinning rod and his huge weight and tried to hit Garrett's boat because we were too close. And what, he was, like, a homeowner? Yeah, I mean, there's somebody. <laughs> there's a canal. What are you going to do? We had, right? some, we had some guy was like, I'm going to, like, violently threaten. We were fishing a guy's light outside of his house and, like, violently threaten us to get away from his dock. Like, Really? Yeah, it got pretty serious around there. Wow, I never would have figured that. The only tarpon I've caught, or in my time here, didn't see a whole lot of tarpon on the lights in Marcos, mostly snook, but I did catch one in Goodland, little one. A like tarpon five on the lights? Yeah. Yeah. Like, the, man, I never, never, ever would have thought about that in, uh, in Goodland. It happens here when we're light fishing or we're dock fishing where these, you know, these rich people, you know, they want, they don't want you to fish behind their house. I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of baffled by that. Maybe the guy in Goodland has a little better argument because he actually fishes and you know that's his spot or whatever. But these rich people out here, they don't they don't fish, they don't do nothing, but they have the fish behind their houses, and then they get mad when somebody else fishes. And I'm just like, and they just want to get mad. But I think what you're dealing with in Goodland is like swamp people. <laughs> oh yeah, it was a swamp people situation. And I think the the underwater lights people really get protective over those. Yeah, you know, they drop big money on those. They're worried about people cast netting them and stuff. Oh yeah, that's a, that's actually legit. I mean, I wouldn't. I'd, I'd be pretty pissed off yeah. if I spent a bunch of time and energy on my dock light and then somebody cast netted it and turned it all <laughs> over. And then, yeah, I could see that. I could see that. The uh, I got one. I got one good friend that fishes out of Goodland. I don't know if you ever heard of him, but they call him Joe Snook. No, he's funny, dude. He's a he's a Facebook dude. But um, me and uh. Me and my buddy Chef Joe went and fished with him, I don't know, it was like August, two or three or four summers ago, and crushed the big tarpon with the guy. But this guy is a total nut. <laughs> but he's been doing a lot of trips over there, and I refer people to him. And uh, yeah, Joe Snook got a good one. Nice kid. Nice kid. He actually knew my Uncle Mike. Not sure how that worked, but <laughs> it happened. It happened. The um, Anything that I need to like know about? There's Snook on Abaco now. What it's kind of important. I don't know. I've always, like, some of my guide buddies over there will be like, Jake, man, like, I've been seeing the snooks, man. I'm like, no, you haven't. Like, I know there's not snook over here. There's You're thinking they're, like, just mistaken or yeah, something, like, right? That's a big, it's a barracuda or that's a tarpon on the flats or whatever. And then there's it's one guide who always tells me, named Travis Sands, awesome dude. And then when we were just there, I was on the front of the skiff, um, just waiting for my shot. And Christian was like, Jake, what's really going to blow your mind? 
this trip is I've seen Snook here now. And I was like, dude, this is not true. And I turned to the guy pulling and I was like, Robert, you seen these fish? And he was like, I haven't, but they're here. And I was like, all right, tell me more. So they're like, there's one little area of the marls right. where they're seeing like legit Snook, like 15, 20 pounders just in there. And is, is there any fresh water around there? Which something? was my thing is I was like, they can't spawn over here. I don't know what they can like, and can't do. Why are they there? You know? But I mean, if I find them, I will catch them. <laughs> so you haven't actually found them. I haven't, I haven't gone it. and looked for them yet, but I don't know. I'm, I'm very, very intrigued. Well, I wasn't tarping over there hardly, you know, when I was a kid. And now there's tarping over there. So Remember, my mom saw one in like a foot and a half off the beach one morning, just sitting on right against the edge. On um, Treasure Beach? Yep. In really? Front of, in front of the beach club. Did I ever tell you the story about the Goliath grouper on Treasure Key Beach? Mm-mm. I don't know, I was like in college at the time, so this is like 1989 maybe, and um, we're all chilling at the beach, and uh, this one family snorkeling, you know, <laughs> just kind of rolling down the white sand, and you know how you can just see everything, right. you know, when you're sitting on that beach on a clear day. Well, this huge shadow starts tailing the two snorkelers. <laughs> Yeah, and, and it's rolling right down that white sand. And, I mean, it's a big, giant Goliath grouper. Nobody really was, you know, 100% sure what it was at the time. Mm -hmm. And it swims up behind um, the lady's kid and grabs her fins and takes off and spits the fins out. And the fins are, like, just flying, and the fish takes off. But, no I mean, way. like, 30 people on the beach could actually see it. And we were like, we thought the, we thought the kid was going to get eaten. No way. Yeah. And you watched this happen. Everybody watched it happen. Oh, my it was gosh, like that's sick. It was like TV. <laughs> you know, the water is in the white sand there. And, uh, yeah, it's the only time I've ever seen a Goliath grouper over there. Yeah, I guess seen, it was a Goliath. I mean, I've seen been, one Goliath there. Could have, I mean, I guess it could have been like a giant Nassau or something, but I think Doubt it's probably it. a Goliath. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen one Goliath there. I mean, the only grouper story I ever hear about you there is I haven't told you this story, Garrett, but... That's a lie, by the I'm way. I'm going to tell so it anyway, you know. just so your, your listeners know what you're all about. Not really, but <laughs> my dad had a pet grouper, okay? He saw it every trip, lived in a hole in, like, in the wall in the canal, and one day it disappeared, and there's a big old wood Maggio family folklore that the only place that grouper went is Jeff jumped in, he shot it, and they ate it. That's the that's the story my dad tells. I've heard that story. <laughs> I don't know where he got that from. <laughs> he just wants to he just wants to give you grief. Yeah, it, I remember funny. the grouper though. I do remember the big grouper that used to live there. The um, there was actually, um, I don't know. There was like a big storm or whatever. A bunch of those trees fell in the canal over there, and for a while there was a ton of grouper back in those canals. We you had a couple at our dock. I caught them both on my fly rod, which was cool. Are they big or little? Little guys, like two, three pounders. I'm but talking like big ones. I started to see little guys pop up and they disappeared, but now it's hogfish in the canal. What, um, what's going on with the Bahamian nightlife over there? Krista Burner, he's still performing at the Tipsy Seagull. Oh. Um, karaoke night on Friday nights. No, there's the same, old, same old stuff, but it's less people. We want to know what it was like in your day. Yeah, we really do. I mean, my da I've it never was, asked my a, dad. It, but. Well, I mean, you got to realize back then um, it was totally different, but it was like good nightlife. I'm kind of jealous, honestly. Like really, really good nightlife over there. Like we, you know, as kids, we'd run around that island knowing um, that it was like Saturday night. And there used to be this big hotel right on the beach that's not there anymore. 
foundation, I don't know, is still there, but the, the hotel was gone. And on top of the hotel is a place called uh, the Crow's Nest. And there would be like full live reggae bands. I mean, a trumpet player, a saxophone player, a drummer, you know, some guys on the maraca, a guy with the friggin' guitar, a bass player, a singer, you know, like a six or seven man reggae band. And they would go off in there. And then um, liquor just flowed. But that was for that was the United States and the Bahamas back then. Yeah, back the, in the, the day. amount of the amount of liquor and the amount of people used to drink back then was insane <laughs> compared yeah, compared I mean, to now. My dad told me a story of this trip of one of his buddies. Oh, what was his name? One of his local Bahamian buddies. Can't remember, but stole a golf cart from the crow's nest, hot wired it, <laughs> drove it into the marina, and just left it there. <laughs> yeah, but like. And I don't know where the kids came from because especially back then there really wasn't that many people there. But if you were there, whatever nightlife that was going on Everybody's there. Right, everybody showed up. Yeah. And then the um the older people were crazier than the younger people. <laughs> so the younger people, you know, had to kind of like step up the bar. But like we went over there and we were like fired up for the nightlife. I did a podcast with a girl last night called Reggae Girl. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's a freshwater fisherman, you know. And um, I was telling her how I fell in love with reggae music was basically because I would hang out in, in Treasure Key with the Bahamians, and you'd listen to what they listened to. And you didn't have a choice back then. Right. So um, then, you, you know, you'd like some of it, you didn't like other. But then, you know, it, it stuck with you. And um, we used to tape it on cassette tapes. <laughs> You know, and then bring it back here and play it because you just couldn't get the the you know the hometown original Bahamian music, but then all the different reggae that they listened to, you, you had to listen to because you were there. Right. You know, and um, teenagers, like we were into stuff over there. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like yeah, you know, people trying to get laid, you know, trying to get drunk. Like people, you know, get getting drunk over there was like normal. Right, right, right. Yeah, you'd be 14 years roll right up, you know, and get your Goombay smash over there. I mean, people like, there are always like, drinking age is 18, but I'm like, no, no, no. The drinking age is if you can see over the bar. They will serve you if yeah. you can see over the bar. They're still, they're st- yeah, they're still good, but, but, no, but, but people just don't drink like they used to. So it's like, you know, it, it's a totally different atmosphere. The other thing, too, is there is just so many people in the Abacos now. Like, it really... Um, I don't know. It's taken a lot away from, you know, from the experience that, that I used to really strive for. Like when I would go to the Abacos, fifty percent of it was be, so I could just fish. You know what I mean? And I didn't want to see another person. Whether you know, like, I would go by myself and explore the flats, or go down to the end of the beach, or go to the point, or take the little skiff across, you know, to the outer islands and. I could be by myself six, seven hours a day just doing, you know, stuff. And then if you did see somebody else out there, you kind of went over to them to find out who they were and where they were from and what they were doing. Because you knew that if you were going to go lobstering or offshore fishing or whatever, you want to know who's around because you ended up fishing with those people. Yeah, yeah. It's, not, yeah. it's just not the same anymore. Now they're like, if you don't have a fishing permit, you can't fish off of your skiff without a local guide or... <clears throat> You can't do this and that, and like this is a private boat ramp, like, and obviously nobody's there to enforce it. But it's one of those things where, for a while, you see it, and morally, you're like, no, 
But then after two years, you're like, all right, whatever. This is just stupid. The Bahamians just are trying to give you a hard time because you're not local. When's the first time you went there, Garrett? Uh, three years ago. And, uh, you know, I've been in Florida, but that place kind of blew my mind. Right? Yeah. It's still pretty freaking cold. Yeah. Yeah. And we went over, we went over there the first – I took Garrett and Jack over there right after Irma. Um, we had three weeks off of school. And we were supposed to go over in October for our fall break. And in the middle of the second week off of school, I was in Texas. They were both here. I called them, and I was like, yo, y'all want to go to Abaco next week, right after Irma. So the seas are it's glass, 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 glass. No wind, right. but the seas are rolling. Like, we were going to go try and catch a marlin or whatever, mm-hmm. just one of the days. But we ended up just having to stay inside the whole time, and it was just like – I could tell it was just a whole different ball game for them too. Now, do you get a um, – are you set up to get a marlin over there now? I've I've, st- I've got the stuff to do it. I mean, I just don't I don't know what I'm doing. If I wanted to go catch tomorrow, I couldn't do it. Yes, you could. I mean, I I could figure it out, but it's not my. Well, it's part. not natural. It's not like you did it a fifty times or something. Yeah, it would yeah. be different. You know, I'm used to walking around in ankle deep water with my fly rod that weighs eight ounces. <laughs> um, and then even then, like, if I am going to go marlin fishing there, like the only the only one I've ever hooked there was one with you like six or seven years ago, during the tournament. Yeah. Um. That was a, that was that wasn't even fair. That fish grabbed your line and took off about two hundred yards and spit the hook and then like you could barely even tell where he was. He was so far away. Yeah, I mean, I saw, I was sitting next to that rod, and, I th- and we went through some weeds. Thought it was the weeds, so I picked it up to like get the weeds off of it. Right. And then I think it was you were like, "There's a fish back there," so I opened it up, let him eat it. And I had him on stand up for a little while, and I can't remember that deckhand you had his name, but he was so good. Mitchell. 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 He Vitale. was a beast. He was like, all right, Jake, get in the chair. We're yeah. going to catch this fish for Yeah, you. Mitchell is my, always my favorite mate. I, t- I had him on the Zen Dog when we do the Marlin tournaments. And then when I used to work for Mr. Tupper, we had an old 1968, 67-foot Huckins, a wood boat. And Tupper, he wanted to fish all the, like, the big-time, you know, Marlin tournaments, the fundraiser tournaments, Boy Scout tournaments, that tread barter stuff. And we would do it on that old antique boat. And I'd that's bring cool. Mitchell, and we could compete with the best of them, even on that old boat. That's cool. Yeah, that was those were good times. I I spent so much time marlin fishing off the coast there. In, um, I don't know between Green Turtle and um, Hopetown. I know every little nook and cranny where the fish like to hang out. You know, on certain. I think it's more tide driven over there. I like to fish by the reef, catch those small ones that are all around the reef. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like. I've always wanted to peck away at the marlin over there. But um, for the longest time, I would just take people's boats from Fort Lauderdale to one of the islands over there to make extra income. You know, the guys didn't want to take the big boats, or if they did want to take it, they wanted to be with somebody that, you know, they felt like wouldn't run into a rock or something like that. So, you know, I I spent a lot of time just transporting boats back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then... uh, all these guys were sport fishing dudes. So then you kind of do that around the different tournaments and all that. Today, I mean, when I'm over in Treasure Key or spend any time out on any of those outer islands, I just don't see people marlin fishing. Maybe one or two boats in Treasure Key are doing it the last time I was there. And um, I don't know. I just thought when I was growing up, I just thought that's why people went. Was to catch marlin. Yeah, it was to catch marlin. And... Um, I don't know, I think it was three years ago, we're sitting at Scotland Key. Now, Scotland's the private key, and the kids are swimming off the dock on the bayside, right? There's tarpon in the ponds on Scotland Key. 
Is it? Yeah, I saw that. Do you know Wilson over there? <laughs> I, I'm not. You've told me about him. I've got friends. He showed me them. He showed me them. He was like, he's like, and we threw some uh, cut ballyhoo in there, and they actually came right over. But anyway, it was lobster season, and the kids are just, you know, swimming off the dock out back, and there's so many people buzzing on the backside of uh, Scotland, going from Guana to Hopetown and back. You couldn't even let the kids swim out there because you're afraid some drunk was going to run them over. And that's a big, big difference to how it used to be and how it is now. Yeah, like, I mean, you never even saw a boat. I mean, I mean, I was I was out there probably 50 times with your granddad and never even saw another person out there. Yeah, it's just crazy. I mean, I've even, like, when I was real young, I remember, I remember the tipsy and the marina condos just popping off during the tournaments. Right. The tournaments would come in a place with But then up. when I was in high school – the tournaments died and one year there was like six boats that fished it. Right. And then now they don't even do it anymore. Wow. So I've, I've, so I've seen, and then now it's cool cause it's starting to come back a little bit and there's some guys coming over who are catching Marlin again. Like I've got some local buddies who will be like, if I wax your boat, can I come fish with y'all? They kind of pull those little deals. So I've got a couple local buddies who will go and I'll see their videos of them catching a nice little white or something. But I haven't, I haven't talked to anybody or seen anybody come back to talk about a big blue or, a super epic day ever or since you were fishing it really well yeah i think i think you guys should you guys should get if you're gonna keep going over there you got the new engines on the soul shaker we right do. how's that been working out it's awesome i mean so you don't have to worry no more yeah, it's just it's nice total game okay i think you two should get a little marlin game plan and then have it where you can just put it to work when you get the weather windows that you need to do it because the boat you have, it. I mean, you can catch them right there. I mean, yeah. I mean, right there in the Guana Pass. It's not like you got to go traveling. You don't have to go that far. I mean, if anybody can rig that stuff up, like just learn how to do it, be Garrett. So there's no marlin fisher, fishermen anymore. Are the marlins still there? You think? <laughs> oh, dude, <laughs> the marlin are there, and they're yeah, the marlin are there. That's the some of the best ocean, in my opinion, in all the Atlantic, between between there and Bermuda to get a big thousand pound fish. So anytime you're fishing on the, especially the northern Abacos, you have a, a really good shot, relatively, to get a giant fish. And then there's a whole bunch of fish, you know, between 150 and 350 pounds that you can peck away at, which would be perfect for you guys on that, yeah. on that 30-foot salt shaker. And then uh, if you don't have the big stuff, take mine. I haven't even used them anymore. Actually, uh, I'm going to go out. June twelfth, off of here. For we're gonna do a marlin trip with uh, my friend Norm. He's got a little Ricky Scarborough. When's the last time you marlin fished out of here? A couple of years. No, a long time now. Um, since I since I since, I got rid of the Zindog like two years ago. Right, I remember that. And we really weren't doing that. So figure right when I first got the Zindog, so call it ten, eight, nine years ago, was the last that I really, you know. Did it, did it. Right. But the ratio out here is not bad out in front of Fort Lauderdale. Like, if you actually prepare yourself and have a little game plan together, my my biggest, the biggest key out here to me is the small dolphin. When the small dolphin are there, the marlin are easy to catch because the marlin are up on the surface, kind of like laying around underneath them. If the dolphin aren't there, then they're eating squid and tunas, and they're eating those 40, 50 feet down. So the chances of them getting in your spread are slim. But when the dolphin are there, you know, and you troll over them, now you just got to have the decent 
um, you know, baits behind the boat to get mm -hmm. the fish interested in, you know, what's behind your boat. And that's pretty simple. You saw the same thing we did years ago with Mitchell. You put out the big dredge, you know, you yeah. put out, you know, three baits behind it and you wait and they will come. When I, when I first got my little Bertram, um, that was like, let's see, 14 years ago. One of the reasons why I wanted that little 31 Bertram is to do Marlin fishing right out here. And we started doing it. We were getting at least one in the spread like every other trip. And then we were getting one to the boat like one in four trips. And then we brought the little Bertram over to Treasure Key and we crushed them. Like, did really good. Yeah. You know, and then the Zindog, we were doing almost all tournaments and um, we raised a lot of fish with the Zindog. The tournament that you were in, I think we raised like six fish or something like that. Pretty good amount of fish. And we lost a bunch of fish. The mm -hmm. very next tournament in the in the BBC Championship, um, we went like five for six. I, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. You know? I remember that. And that's just, you know, same exact spread, same exact everything. It's just, you know, luck of the draw. Sometimes you get them, sometimes you don't. But think about that. That's just two tournaments in, you know, like a 10-day span. And you're talking about maybe 20 fish up behind the boat? That's pretty good. That's a lot of blue marlin. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the fishing over there is good. And if you have a little system, Garrett, that you can um, basically just plug in when it's, the, when it's your marlin day. And the cool thing about Treasure Key is um, I caught more marlin with my friends and not in tournaments in the afternoon. So what happened is you start your day off and you would be like, hey, the weather's good today for that. And you do whatever you had to do in the morning or whatever, have lunch, and then go out at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon and then fish till the sun kind of went down. And for whatever reason, I always did very well um, right off Guanakee, right on the reef, you know, not even that far out. And the same thing um, in the afternoon, the tunas come out. And it's almost like clockwork, but they don't come out till about 6 o'clock and that sun starts to go down and the ocean will rigging, you know, get real fishy for about an hour and a half and then as soon as it gets you know the sun gets on the horizon you haul ass home because even in today's day and age you don't need to be out in the ocean right that way know, when night. it gets when it gets dark out out there so um and if you need anything for your little marlin setup i think I, i'm sure i have it and just we'll, yeah we'll put it in a box and just put it to work one day and if you catch one you make me feel like a million bucks <laughs> and if you guys catch one together You'll feel even, even better. better than that. <clears throat> <laughs> Let's talk about it. I mean, I'm, I've always wanted to do it, and I've got, I've got another friend there who always is like, Jake, you want to catch a marlin this year? I'm like, if we get a good weather day, I'm going to go do it. And we just haven't. He's good. Some local dude named Jerry Brutus. Mm -hmm. Fishes out of his 31 contender, and he is good. He'll be like, yeah. What's he like to fish for usually? Marlin, blue marlin. That's okay. it. And wahoo when they're there in the wintertime. But, yeah. And he's getting into fly fishing, so I'm like, all right, look, I'll teach you how to fly fish if you – Put me on a big blue marlin. Like we can, we can work out a deal here. That's what's up. That's what you call relay network. One guy's into the catching, you know, fly stuff. The other guy's into catching marlin, and then you guys get together, and then all of a sudden you got something. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Tonight, I'm gonna take these dogs out fly fishing for the infamous juvenile tarpon downtown Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> if we don't get run over by a water taxi. Water taxi. Right. I don't think we're going to have the problem with the swamp people like you guys did in Goodland. Garrett will fight them off. Don't hate on the swamp people. No, they're, they're, they're nice most of the time. Have you, you, you said you haven't gone to the lights yet this year, have you? Uh-uh. I haven't right, tried them at all. If all else feels, I can catch look downs till I'm bored. <laughs> oh, 
That's the, and that's the other thing with you fly fishermen dudes. You know, last year I started to market a little bit more fly fishing, and I don't know, maybe I did a dozen trips or so, you know, last summer for the fly fishing. And to get them to leave the jacks and the moonfish and the other little stuff that you can catch so we can go find a tarpon is, like, hard. And I'm like, only fly fishermen would get that fired up about getting, you know, two or three look downs in a row. <laughs> I can stay away from the jacks on lights. Those kind of bother me. But I can catch a look down. I think they're hilarious. <laughs> I just think it's so funny. Like, why does it look like that? That's good eating, too. <laughs> so you guys brought your fly rods? We've got – I have, like, 500 flies and – and you brought all my, flies. All my rods in my backpack in the car. You guys have no clue. I, I probably did close to 100 trips since the beginning of the year. Tonight will be the first night that I take two dudes out that can actually tie their own knots. <laughs> well, I shouldn't say can. That I trust to tie their own knots. Well, you taught me the lunker dog loop. <laughs> the lunker dog loop knot? That's, that's going around. All my buddies are using the lunker dog loop now. Good. Tell them to listen to the podcast because that's <laughs> my new thing. Go, oh, hey, remember, remember the old Lunker Dog loop? Okay, watch your, you know, Lunker Dog's Real Guy show on iTunes or Spotify or whatever <laughs> these nerds are into. But um, thanks for coming and uh, doing the podcast. I know you guys have been on a plane, been sitting down, probably, you know, getting a little rustic by now. But um, having you here, I had to take the opportunity to put the microphone in front of your face. And I hope it's not the last time because uh, I think people, I think people would, um, Look forward to hearing about uh, more of the fly fish stuff over there and if you guys put together a decent marlin plan. And then we'll catch a marlin on fly and really blow people's minds. See what I mean? You guys are stepping up the bar. I'm not seeing the other millennial guys do that. They're just like nothing. I take them out on the boat and they say nothing and then they get off the boat and then I talk to their dad like a month later and they're like oh yeah the kid had the greatest time of his life and i'm looking at the kid and i'm like i i, I couldn't tell at all <laughs> but anyway thanks for coming in and uh doing the lunker dogs real guy show with us and hope it's not the last time and um all you social media nuts will probably post a bunch of pictures tonight of jake's moonfish and uh what are you laughing at jerry you're probably getting a moonfish too moon pit moonfish pics will be up tonight stay tuned <laughs> You know uh, what I say every time somebody catches a moonfish? Oh, right. gosh. Why the long face? <laughs> <laughs> Run that dog. Thanks for tuning in.